listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I feel like I'm home, to be honest. And uh, I, just, I mean, one thing about um, yeah, your church and ours, Hillsong and Life, is they just got the same spirit. You know, it's just the same spirit in the house. And you can tell from the moment when you come in and, uh, you know, people are friendly, there's life and it's just, you know, so good to be here. So I bring you love from Hillsong Church, our senior pastors, Brian and Bobby. They've been overseas traveling and uh, we've been in a season where we've been doing um, Sunday night at the movies has been the big highlight for us in church life. And so bring your love from them. My wife, Ketty, and I, we've been married for uh, 17 years and uh, got three beautiful children. And she's preaching this morning, actually, back home. And so um, she couldn't talk to me for too long this morning because she had our three kids running around doing their things. And anyone who knows what it's like to have kids, I mean, I came last night and was hanging with Craig. We were watching the football and looking after the kids. Well, he was looking after them. I was just sneaking him some M&Ms, but we were having a good time. And... Uh, Basically, my, my kids, you know, I've got a, a four-year-old and she is just gorgeous. Our little miracle baby, Aria, she's four years, got her, got her mum's eyes, a mum's nose, a mum's smile and my last name. And so she's our little miracle girl. She has an addiction. She's addicted to Peppa Pig. And so it's something we're trying to break in her life. She still needs to get saved. At the moment, she's given her heart to Pepper, but we're hoping to change that, hoping to really change that. Then I've got my little boy, Taj. He's 11 years old. He's our little champion. He won his grand final in basketball on Friday night, which is pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome for their team. They did so well. And uh, he, he, he's, he's good. He's got his weaknesses. He's, he's messy. You know, we don't go into his bedroom. It's like going into Area 51. You don't know what you're going to find in there. You know, it's sort of like that. And then there's my eldest, Jaya. She's 13, going on 31. And she, you know, thinks she's older than what she is. You know, that sort of age. And, you know, everything's always drama. You know, and you try and tell her to do something. And she sprained an optic nerve last week rolling her eyes at me, you know, and so there's this sort of, you know, this, this is my world with kids, but uh, there with my beautiful wife this morning, I just woke up in the hotel this morning, and just had a bit of a stretch and no noise and thought, oh, what a great Sunday morning. Praise the Lord, ready to go, ready to be with you, which is nice. Anyone ready for the word this morning? All right. Psalm 94 verse 19 says, when anxiety was great within me, your consultation brought me joy. Listen to it. When anxiety was great within me, David says, when anxiety was great within me, he says, your consultation, your presence, your word, who you are, God brought me joy. Wouldn't it be great when you think about stress? Wouldn't it be great if you could just you know, sing a song like John Farnham sings. Take the pressure down. Wouldn't it be great if that's how you deal with stress and anxiety? Just sing a bit of Johnny Farnham and all of a sudden the stress just goes away. It would be a great answer, a great solution, wouldn't it? See, the, the title of what I want to speak about today is Rest from Being Stressed. Rest from Being Stressed. You ever seen someone stressed, ever been stressed where you see someone a little bit agitated? maybe a little bit uh, short-fused, irritated, maybe sleep-deprived, anxiety, restlessness, bothered or troubled. 
to the point where you can get overwhelmed or overtaken by something and then it starts to affect your health and, and it can affect your mental health and your stability and all of those things when it comes to stress. You know, take mobile phones, for example. Survey was done where they took 100 people and they took away their mobile phones for a week. Ooh. And the signs come back that without having their mobile phone, it was a major trigger of stress where there were signs of anxiety, loneliness, isolation, fear, mass depression, cut off from society and abandonment. Some big issues people have without their phones. But the reality is anything can be a trigger trigger of stress. You know, kids are screaming, the dogs are barking, houses are mess, meals to make, bills to pay. You know, late for work, traffic is heavy, the boss is demanding, issues with the family, problems in the marriage, trouble with the in-laws, loss of a loved one, planning to move, planning for a baby, planning for a wedding. And then you get to the wedding and then they got the wrong flowers and they got the wrong food. I got the wrong bride, you know, and it's all, it's all stressful. It's all stressful. That's how stress moves, you know, and, and then you're trying to lose weight to get to the wedding and you're trying to, and you, you know, and you, and you think it's stressful just trying to lose the weight and because you can't eat pasta because you're on the paleo, and you can't eat chicken because you're on the vego, and you can't have sweets because you're on the keto, can't eat fish because of the heavy mercuries and you can't eat fruits and veggies because of the insecticides and the herbicides. Well, I believe it only leaves one category of food left. Chocolates and ice cream. That's right. And how many of you know that stressed, spelt backwards, is desserts? Have a look at that. Stress spelt. I think that's a word for someone this morning. I think someone just needs to take that home. Just go, thank you, Lord, right there. Right there. Well, look, hey, the top five stresses that they say that are in our lives is death, divorce, job loss, moving, and a major illness or injury. They're the top five. But you know what I've found is that stress can come from the big things just as much as it can come from the little things in our lives. So what does the Bible say about stress? Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer. Someone say, by prayer. And petition with thanksgiving to God. Present your requests to God and the peace. Someone say, peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds. Listen to it. The peace of God that comes from prayer will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. Where does stress affect you the most? The Bible tells us in your heart and in your mind. That's why it teaches us how to guard it because that's where stress affects you the most is in your heart and it's in your thinking, in your mind. So let me ask you this morning, what rules the atmosphere of your heart? What rules the atmosphere of your mind? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's what you dwell on, what you think on, what you talk about, what you meditate on the most is exactly right now what is ruling the atmosphere of your heart and your mind. Romans 8 verse 11 says, And the Spirit of Him who rose Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who rose Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. 
So watch this. You're a carrier of God's Spirit. Whether you know it or not, you're carrying God's Spirit. Which tells me, if you're a carrier of God's Spirit, then God's Spirit is dwelling in your heart and God's Spirit dwells in your mind. Because you can set the atmosphere for your life. Why? Because I'm carrying the Spirit of God. So no matter what is happening around me and to me, it's different from what I'm carrying inside of me. Because I'm a carrier of God's Spirit. And His Spirit is His Word. His Word produces life. It produces health. It produces hope. It produces healing. It produces peace. It produces joy. So I'm a carrier of what God has placed inside of me, regardless of what's happening around me. You see, you control the atmosphere of your heart and your mind. Most people, when stress comes, can't we deal with it in three different ways. We either crash, we cope, or we change. When people crash, it's like we hit a wall. Out of stress, people hit a wall of disappointment. They can hit a wall of failure, hit a wall of hopelessness, where it's just like when you've hit the wall, you're so fixated on that one thing that's in front of you that you can completely forget the bigger picture that God has for your life the bigger journey that's ahead for your life because when you hit the wall, you stop. You know, you give in. You just, you, that, that's it. I've, I've hit the wall. You crash. So we can crash when, when it comes to stress. Some people cope. And when you go into coping, you're in survival mode. When you're into coping, you, you're just trying to get it through the day. I'm just trying to get to the end of the week. And when you're in coping mode, you're in avoiding mode. Because you're trying to avoid any bad news. You're trying to avoid any negativity, anything that can be a trigger. You don't want it because it'll just tip you over the edge when you're in coping mode. And usually when you're in coping mode, you start going to dependencies. You start looking for escapes and things that you can use to help you as coping mechanisms. And you see, so people crash, people cope, or people change when they come to dealing with stress. Change says, I'm going to change how I handle this. Change says, I'm not going to respond just how my flesh wants to respond. Change says, realizing that I can't keep living the way that I'm living if stress is having this impact on my life. Change breaks the old patterns and forges new patterns. Change is committed to maybe new routines, maybe new habits, maybe new thinking, maybe a new attitude, maybe new behaviour that I'm going to put into place with how I deal with stress in my life. You see, Keddie and I, we've had to make some changes. We've had to make some changes. Things have brought stress into our lives. I mean, my wife, she's Bulgarian, okay. I'm Australian. That's enough stress right there. Bulgarian, okay. I mean, she can speak five languages. She can speak Bulgarian, Russian, Yugoslav, uh, French, and English. I speak one, Australian. So we're very different, okay. I mean, when she came to Australia, she travelled the world and visited over 15 countries coming to Australia. When I met her, I'd travelled Newcastle and visited over 15 suburbs, 
And so we were very different. We've had to make changes along the way. For example, I like to get up early. I mean, I like to get up with the sunrise. Keddy likes to get up with the sunset. We're just very different, you know. Who here, you're like an early riser. You like to get up early. Look at you. Can't wait to put your hand in the air. Like, yeah, I'm an early riser. That's right. These people, when they get up early, it's like they're up at like 5.30, 6 a.m. Noise is not a problem for these people. I mean, they're up and for some reason, the kettle is boiling, the toast is toasting, the blender is blending, cupboard doors are opening and slamming, someone is laughing. <laughs> you don't even know why. They're just, it's 5.30 in the morning and they're just making noise. That's what we do, us early risers. And then so there's people that jump out of bed and then there are those that fall out of bed. Where's all the people that love to sleep in? Where are you? Yeah, look at you. We're lucky to have you here this morning. I mean, you made it. You made it. That's a big effort. My wife, she loves the sleep in. Oh, and, they, and when they get up, you know, people who love to sleep in, she gets up and she's like, what, what, what time is it? What, what, what year is it? You know, where, where am I? Who am I? You know, it's, it's like they're trying to work it all out when they get going. So, so we've had to make big changes for us when it comes to marriage. So much so that we had to change some of our lifestyle choices, how we spend time. For example, we made a change a few years ago that we were going to say that we said no devices after 8 p.m. in our house because we want to have more family time and more time with each other. We made a change where we said for 30 minutes every day, just Keddy and I are going to sit down and it's just us time where we talk, where we have a cup of tea or we eat, or but it's just us time. No kids, we banish them to their rooms or wherever and we just say, this is us time. You know, we've had to make those sorts of changes. Um, more easy meals. We got to the point where the life was just was too much with everything. And we said, well, let's have a night where it's leftovers night. Let's have a night that's takeout night. Let's make it easier on ourselves. I made a note. I said, more kissing. That was a great one. We need more kissing in our marriage. So we said that. So we made changes. And if you're going to deal with stress that comes into your life, you've got to be able to make changes so it works for your life. You see, here's the thing. Real change begins with your heart. And with your mind. Begins with your heart and with your mind. So let's talk about your mind first, your thinking. Well, let me tell you one thing about your thinking. The first thing is you've got to take control of your thinking. You've got to learn to take control of your thinking. Don't just let your thoughts run wild in your mind. Don't just let your thoughts go running down little rabbit paths and little fox trails and because that's what your mind will do. It will take you places that those places might even be fantasies. They might not even exist. Well, I thought she said this about me. I knew they said, I bet she's telling this person. I bet they know that. I bet that's, that's not going to work in my favour. They've probably told my boss there. And all of a sudden, what are you doing? You're letting your mind go down fox trails and rabbit paths that don't even exist. You need to learn to take thought, um, every captive, take every captive thought. Take What am I saying? Take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. You know, because the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down strongholds, we take every thought captive. Captive means bound. And if someone is bound, they can't move. It's like they're tied up if they're bound. And that's what you need to do with your thoughts. You need to take them captive and say, no, I'm not thinking on that. I'm not thinking the worst about that person. I'm not thinking the worst about that situation. I'm not going to think negative about this. No, I'm taking that thought captive. 
You know, one of the great ways to break the pattern of thinking in your mind is confession. Confession breaks the power of thought. I'll often sometimes, if my mind's wandering and racing at night sometimes or whatever, I'll open up a psalm and I'll read that psalm out loud. By the second sentence, the confession has break the pattern and power of that thought because that's what confession does. So you've got to take control of your thinking. Here's the second one. You've got to renew your thinking. You've got to renew it. Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing. I remember being at a conference one time preaching and I had a gentleman come up to me after and he said, you talked about renewing your mind. He said, but how do you do it? How do you renew your mind? And I talked to him about the Word of God. And I said, the Bible says these are God's thoughts. It says His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I said, but the more you read the Word, the more you meditate on the Word, the more you think about the world, the word, it's going to start to get into your thinking. It's going to get a start to get in your decision making. It's going to start to get in your actions, in your lifestyle, in what you're doing, in your attitude. Why? Because you're renewing your thinking. Sometimes you've got to unlearn some thinking in your life some stuff that's happened that's taking you down where that's your default thinking. Sometimes you've got to unlearn and you've got to start to renew. The Bible says in Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, meditate or dwell on such things. In other words, that's how you start to renew your thinking, by reading the Word of God and letting it get inside your mind. So that's your mind. What about your heart? If, if the areas that stress want to attack you is in your mind and your heart, well, think about this with your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, So above all else, guard the affections of your heart. You've got to learn to guard your heart. You see, let me ask you this question. What are you putting in your heart? What are you putting into your heart? Because too many people put the wrong things. We put fear. We put worry. We put disappointment. We put brokenness, we put envy, we put jealousy, bitterness, regrets. We're putting all the wrong things in our heart. But you've got to understand whatever your heart dwells on is what your life will head towards. So ask yourself, what are you putting into your heart? Then ask yourself this, what am I magnifying in my heart? What am I magnifying in my heart? Because David said in Psalm 34, oh, come magnify the Lord with me. What are you magnifying in your heart? You know, my wife, Katie, and I. So uh, about a year or two ago, we were building this house. We're putting in the kitchen, and she was designing it all, and we were putting in the splashback. And she'd chosen the the splashback and the colour that she wanted and all of this. And so the builders turned up with this big three-metre-long splashback, and they're ready to put it in there in the kitchen, and they're putting it up on the wall. And I was downstairs in the kitchen. I'm like, that's an awesome splashback. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's great splashback, boys. Well done. Great splashback. You know, my wife was upstairs, Ketty. Well, she comes down the stairs. She looks at the splashback. And she says, oh, no. In her little Bulgarian accent. She says, that is the wrong splashback. I said, what do you mean it's the wrong splashback? She said, that's the wrong colour. And I'm like, hang on, no, that's the colour we chose. No, it's the wrong colour. And it turns out it was about one shade off of the colour that we've chosen. And she's looking at the splashback. I cannot look at this splashback. I cannot work with this splashback. That splashback must go. And I'm like, babe, it's just, I said, it's, it's almost the same colour. You can hardly tell. No, I cannot look at this splashback. Must go. And then she walks off upstairs. The guys are looking at me holding the splashback. I said, you better go, boys. You better go. So they take the splashback out. Two to three months later, 
they come back with the second splashback because it takes so long. It's got to go to Coffs Harbour where it was getting shaped and all this. Come back. They come back in. Keddie's upstairs. I'm downstairs. They come in with the splashback. I'm like, quick, boys, get it up on the wall. Get it up on the wall. Mount the thing. Get, get it on there. So they're mounted. They're putting it on. I'm like, it's the right colour. It's fine. It's all good. It's mounted on the wall. Keddie comes downstairs. She looks at the splashback. And she goes, oh, no. I said, what, babe? She goes, look at the splashback. And I said, what? And right beneath the cabotry in the right-hand corner, there was about two mil by two mil that was just out. And she's looking at the corner and she says, oh, no, they've made a mistake with my splashback. Take it away. Take it away. And I said, babe, I said, they can't just take it away. It's mounted on the wall. It's not that bad. I cannot work in this kitchen. I will not work in this kitchen. It's terrible. Take the splash. She's like, take, she's refusing to work in the kitchen, cook in the kitchen. And I'm like, babe, it's not that bad. I said, you can only see it if you point to it. And she says, I can see it. That's the problem. And I'm like, babe, it's not that. It's just the splashback. It's okay. Well, true story. I'm not just talking for weeks, for months. We're going every day. I would go to bed and Keddie would talk to me about the splashback. And she would like, babe, I hate that splashback. I just hate it. I cannot work in the kitchen with that splashback. You don't understand. It's horrible. It's damaged. You can see this little detail. I always see it now. And I'm like, babe, it's not. That's just the splashback. It's not that big a deal. True story. In the mornings, I'd get up every morning. She'd like, babe. Can we buy a new splashback today? Can we get another splashback? And I'm like, babe, we're not getting another splashback. And I thought, isn't it amazing how you can take something so small and magnify it to become so big where it rules your heart, where it rules your mind, where it rules your spirit, and it can go for ongoing for weeks and weeks into months. Something so little can become so big because of what you're magnifying in your heart. So in the end, we got another splashback. But it was because I wanted to, okay? I wanted to get another splashback. That's why we got the third splashback. All right, shush up. All right. Hey, prayer puts problems into perspective. Prayer puts problems in perspective. Paul said, by prayer, and then he said, and the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. Prayer puts problems in perspective. Why? Because when you pray, you're aligning your heart and your thoughts with the Word of God. You're aligning your heart and mind with God's promises, God's peace, God's plan, God's purpose for your life. When you're praying, you're you're confessing God's favour. You're confessing confessing God's provision, His prosperity, His grace, His goodness over your life. Therefore, you begin to think like that. You begin to believe like that. And all of a sudden, prayer has produced peace in your life. Because... Prayer puts problems in perspective. So I'm going to go to the Bible, to 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to read you a story about a guy who was in major stress. And what did he do when stress happened? How did he deal with it? What did God say? That's what we're going to read. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it's the story of Elijah. And Elijah at this point, he's on the run from an evil queen named Jezebel. Wants to take his life, basically. He's on the run because he'd done this big miracle on Mount Carmel and all the prophets of Baal were defeated. And then the queen Jezebel gets wind of it and she says, she says, "Um, Elijah, I'm coming for you. 
She says, I'm going to take you out. She's threatening to take his life out. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he'd killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to the broom brush and he sat down and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the brush, the bush, and he fell asleep. At once an angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there was um, some bread over the coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights where he reached Herob, the mountain of God. And there he went into the cave and he spent the night. And the Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? So, Here you see this story where Elijah is obviously on the run. And what I want to talk about is the effect of stress in someone's lives, learning from Elijah. So here's the first one that we see in Elijah's life. Number one, stress affects your spirit. Stress affects your spirit. Elijah, the Bible said, was afraid and he ran for his life. Elijah did not have a spirit of peace. No, he had a spirit of fear. And that fear was causing him to go on the run from Jezebel. He was running away from God because what fear does is it's a trigger. And fear will trigger things in your life because fear, you know how you let things get under your skin? You ever let things, oh, that gets under my skin? And you're letting the wrong things dwell in you richly. When the Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 1, it says, let the, things, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And too often we're letting other things dwell in us richly. You're letting it get under your skin and you're letting it consume you. And that fear can be a trigger of, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make a mistake or fear of failure or fear of trying or fear of trusting. And you get to that point where fear can trigger anxiety. Fear can trigger disappointment. Fear can trigger depression. Fear can um, trigger trauma, cause you to lose your hope, cause you to lose your trust in God because that's what fear does. And it affects your spirit. You see, you need to fill yourself not with fear, but in the face of fear, fill yourself with faith. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to keep coming back to the Word of God and keep putting your assurance in God's Word. Fear believes for the best. Faith believes for the best and not the worst. Faith believes that nothing is impossible for your God. But you see, fear will always push you away from the things of God. Fear will always drive you away because that's what fear does. It's a trigger for things in our lives. So stress affects your spirit. Here's the second thing. Stress affects your language. Look at what he said in verse 4. He says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better. (laughs) You know, when you're stressed, you say things and you believe things that you wouldn't normally say and you wouldn't normally believe when you're stressed. You see... Listen to him. He starts speaking in absolutes. He says, I'm no better. I'm no better. You ever heard someone speak in absolutes? It's like the statement they're saying is a statement of absolute. 
that it's not going to change now. That'll never get better for me. That won't happen for me. That opportunity's gone. Well, I've missed it now. Well, it's too late for me. Stop speaking in absolutes. That's what Elijah was doing, right? He starts speaking in absolutes. He says, I'm no better. Then he starts speaking in defeat because he says, take my life. So he's speaking in absolutes. Now he's speaking in defeat. Take my life. In other words, it's not going to get any better. I don't think it's going to happen now. It's all over and woe is me and I'm just another victim. It always happens to me. He's starting to speak out of defeat now. And then the third thing he's doing, he's speaking out of exhaustion. Listen to his language. He says, I've had enough. Speaking out of exhaustion. And when you've had enough, it's like I'm giving up. I'm giving up on God. I'm giving up on the journey. I'm giving up on church. I'm giving up on prayer. I'm giving up, you know, and that's what you do because stress affects your language. You see, but here's the thing. You have to change your confession when stress comes your way. Change your language. Stop speaking in absolutes. Stop speaking the worst case scenario. Start to speak God's best over that situation. Start to speak God's promise over that situation. Because confession is powerful. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.21 that the tongue has the power of life and death. Start speaking life over your circumstances, not death. So stress affects your spirit. Stress affects your language. And look at this. Stress affects your decision making. You see, he says in verse 4, it says, Elijah, he went into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness. In other words, he was running away from God instead of running to God. He's trying to isolate himself. He's on the run. He's trying to escape. He made poor decisions in the stressful moment of his life to the point where God showed up and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Because poor decisions put him in a poor place. You see, you're not at your best when you're stressed. You're not thinking straight when you're stressed. And, and often people make rush decisions, they make irrational decisions, and they make regretful decisions in moments of stress. You know what we tend to do in the decision making? We replay things. We replay things in our mind. We replay what happened over and over and over. That regret I had. I wish I never done that. I wish I shouldn't have done that. That mistake I made, that failure, the stress of it. And we replay it over and over. And rather than renewing your mind, you're replaying your mind. You're replaying the things that you shouldn't be replaying. And then so he's replaying. And then we start repeating things. Our confession, rather than changing our confession, we're speaking the worst. We're saying it's all over now. That's bad. That's not going to get better. Well, you know what the doctor said. Well, you know what the bank manager said. Well, you know what the letter said. Well, you know what that, that's, and you know, you're speaking the worst. And then you start replaying things. You're repeating things and then you're retreating to things. You start retreating to all the wrong things, to dependencies like alcohol and coping mechanisms and trying to get whatever you can, whether it be social media or the answers on Google or whatever it is, and you're trying to use whatever it can that's your coping that is taking there where you're retreating to things. Well, what was God's answer for Elijah? If stress affects your spirit, stress affects your language, stress affects your decision-making, what was God's answer to Elijah in this stressful, stressful situation. Here we go. You ready for them? Number one. Now, these are very simple. They're very practical, but they're very profound. Okay? Very profound. 
So here's the first one. Number one, God's answer to stress in our lives. Number one, stress needs to rest. Oh, Sanger, so profound. Wow, never saw that coming. Stress needs to rest. Look at it, verse 5. Then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. Can I say that sometimes God's solution for you is not always spiritual, but sometimes it's practical. God knew exactly what Elijah needed. You know what he needed? He needed to just rest. Elijah, you need to sleep. You need to get your strength back. You need to wake up with a fresh mind, with fresh thinking, with fresh wisdom, with fresh perspective. And that's only going to happen, Elijah, when you stop and rest. Go and get some sleep. Mars Bar have figured it out. Work, rest and play. They've figured it out. They already know it. They've worked it out. You see, you've got to learn to slow down when stress is coming your way. Watch this. Stop trying to do everything fix everything and solve everything when stress comes. You need to make time to sleep. You need to get to bed a little bit earlier. You need, and you know what? And I know that when stress affects you, you can't sleep. You know, you can have a restless night and you can't get asleep. Well, that's where you need to read a psalm to calm. Oh, come on, someone. You need to read a psalm to calm the stress. Because there's power in the Word of God. When you read the Word, when you confess it out loud, there's something about the Word that feeds your spirit, that fuels your spirit, and that will calm the raging storm that's happening around you. So you've got to learn to rest. In fact, doctors say that a lack of sleep is one of the most significant causes of stress. Psalm 4 verse 8 says, In peace I will lay down. And sleep. God knows you need sleep. So his answer to Elijah was stress needs to rest. Here's the second one. Stress needs to eat. Oh, Sanger. Wow. Stress needs to eat. Yes. Who loves a good feed? Oh, come on. Verse 7. The Lord says, get up and eat for your journey is long. Elijah just needed to recharge and he needed to refuel. He needed food. I love when God speaks. It's not always about being a missionary to Africa, being a missionary to Syria, being a missionary to even worse, New Zealand. No, where's all the Kiwis? We love the Kiwis. No, but when God speaks, it's not always about doing something, you know, that seems like big. No, but sometimes you'll just say, you need to eat. You need to get some food in you if you're going to make the journey. Yeah, it's very practical. I told you these were very practical. The Bible says after he ate, he was strengthened. After he ate. Not after he prayed, although prayer is always helpful. He says, no, after you ate, you need to eat as well. He was strengthened. So stress needs to rest. Stress needs to eat. Here's the third one. Stress needs an outlet. Stress needs an outlet. Elijah had a journey ahead of him and he changed his environment. He left where he was. Why? Because sometimes you need to get out of the environment that you are in. You need to get out, go for a walk, go for a jog, go for a bike ride, take the, take the dog for a walk, talk to someone. You know what? Blokes need blokes. Girls need girls. Talk to someone. It's an outlet. You need outlets in your life where you can just let the stress out, let it out, get it off your chest. You know, you need a sport, a hobby, do something that you love to do. You know, for me, I love surfing. I love going. I surf every week. I get out. I'll go for a paddle. I love it because you know what? It clears my mind. 
It just refreshes my soul. I feel so refreshed afterwards. You know, what is it for you? My wife, she loves massages. Oh, she loves, I hate massages. I can't stand being touched. She loves massages. So she'll go out, she'll have massages everywhere, have a massage. That's her outlet. We went through a bit of a time of stress in the last season or so. And in the middle of that, a couple of months ago, I thought, I'll do something for Ketty. So I went out and I bought a massage table because I know she loves massages. And then I went out and I bought all of the little creams and the balms and the oils and the spices that go with it. Then I went out and I even bought scented candles. You know, the ones that give the aroma, the smell. And so I've got, you know, the vanilla rice. I know that's a band actually, but, but it was something like that. It was like the vanilla smell and all of this. And, and so I'm getting all the scented candles. And then I went out and, and, I, and I bought all of the, you know, the stuff that makes it look. And, and I turned our little lounge room into a place. I even put on the, on the screen of the TV, beautiful tropical islands photo. I put some rainforest music on. In fact, I think I have a photo of our little bedroom, our little lounge room. Where is that? Can the guys put that up? There it is. Look at that. I created this little oasis. I even went on YouTube and I learned how to do a massage course to give a massage. I did a massage course. That's right. These hands are the hands of a delicate genius. That's right. That's right. That's right. Put that down. Just keep that there, you know. But here's the thing. I know what my outlet is. My wife has her outlet, but what's yours? Because stress needs an outlet. So stress needs to rest, stress needs to eat, stress needs an outlet. And here's the fourth and final one is stress needs the presence of God. Stress needs the presence of God. Verse 5 says, at once the angel touched him. Can I say never underestimate a touch from God? When you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're going through things, never underestimate what one touch in the presence of God can do. It can break through. It can turn around. It can bring an answer. It can bring resolve. It can bring resolution. It can give you a way where there is no way. One touch in the presence of God. One touch can change stress in a person's life. I'll get the worship team to come up here and you guys can begin to play. You see... One touch, when you think about the presence of God in your life, one touch can heal. One touch can inspire. One touch can revive. One touch can uh, restore. One touch can renew. It can revitalize you when you get in the presence of God. It was the Lord's touch on the leper that healed him. It was the Lord's touch on a blind man that gave him sight. It was the Lord's touch on a deaf man that gave him back hearing. It was the Lord's touch on a coffin that raised up a dead man from the, from the dead. You see, sometimes you're going to go through a trial before there's a triumph. You're going to have to go through it sometimes. But Philippians 1 verse 8 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Come on, don't let stress sideline you before you get to your destination. God says, hey, I know what's going on. He goes, I know that there's stuff coming against you right now. There's stuff externally. Yeah, might be stuff in the home, might be stuff at work, might be stuff with finance, might be stuff with your career. But here's the thing, don't let it sideline you. Don't let stress take you out when God's Word has an answer for your stress. He says you can rest from being stressed when you know that you're a carrier of His presence. Because one touch, all stress needs is one touch in the presence of God. You know, 
Elijah, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights. The number 40, it's symbolic of a trial. Moses went to Mount Sinai 40 days and 40 nights before he got the Ten Commandments. Noah was in a boat where it rained 40 days and 40 nights before he had the breakthrough of land. Jesus was in the desert 40 days and 40 nights before he came back in the power of God, the power of the Spirit. You see, sometimes you're going to have to go through some stuff. But what you've got to understand is that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't let stress sideline you. Don't let stress take you out. Don't let it, don't let it finish you because it's not finished. It's not finished. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.